Hey, this is Sam Moyer with Flippin' Finance. Today we're going to be covering the CPI report from last week and the market movements around that. But before that, a quick disclosure. None of this is investment advice, nor is it an opinion of my employer, Vallejo Financial Advisors. Get your own financial advisor and advice. Thanks. So quickly into the news from last week. So I'm sure everyone had their calendar marked for Thursday at 8.30 a.m. because that's when CPI, a.k.a. Consumer Price Index, a.k.a. Inflation, a.k.a. So Hot Right Now, came out last week. (laughs) And it was actually below expectations. So it came in at 7.7% over the last year, which is down from the high of 8.9%. And if we're looking at, if we're the Biden administration, we will probably be talking about the the monthly increase because they had a joke that uh, one time the inflation was 0% and that was the monthly increase, but uh, that was not the yearly increase. So whoops, um, but it was 0.3% over the last month. So that was the smallest increase um, since January. So that's good. There's another measure of inflation because why would it not be easy. It is called core CPI. So that is inflation without food and energy. So those two things tend to bounce around a lot, aka volatile. If I was a tall white guy talking about finance, I would use the word volatile a lot to confuse people. But core CPI came in at 6.3 and that is below its high of 6.6. So we're kind of at this interesting conjunction of where the goods part of inflation has been driving things for since COVID pretty much. So um, take a step back, like everyone was trapped in, inside, we couldn't go out. And so when everyone started ordering crap effectively and the goods part of inflation spiked really high, it was like over 10% and inflation, the services part was really low for a while. And now they've kind of come back and increased costs. So now services inflation is higher than goods. So that's kind of something interesting to uh, keep you up at night and and then if go ahead okay so then will we see like given that information so like the the, the core inflation that we were talking about earlier for for goods that peaked at like 8.9 percent right and now it's starting to come down yeah that's a good question so so um, i'm so i'm just core- wondering will, will it have the same trajectory on the services side so even though you know effectively it looks like it's coming down now that services seem to be peaking, like is that going to shoot it back up? So my my kind of unofficial cloudy crystal ball guess is that you'll have inflation continue to moderate, coming down from like seven to five. Mm-hmm. But then the spread between the headline inflation, which is the number I said first, and core will just get smaller. So you'll have like core inflation around, uh, call it four percent, and then the headline inflation like around four and a half. So core will be a a bigger driver of the inflation picture because of the services pretty much. Got it. Yeah. And then we'll include this in the show notes, but if you're trying to be Nostradamus and have your own guess for inflation, you can effectively take the month month over month changes and extrapolate that towards future inflation. So if we have this continued inflation rate uh, on a monthly basis of 0.3, that means by May of next year, inflation will be in the fours. So if you want to kind of guess and say, well, well maybe it's 0.4% on a monthly change, 
it'll be in the fours come June or so. So like you can have a much lower inflation rate if everything kind of continues in a linear fashion uh, pretty quickly. So like 4% inflation isn't too bad. And um, stupid question, but like in a normal year, like, right, like pre-COVID, mm-hmm. pre-pandemic, pre kind of things going crazy, um, yeah. is, is like inflation at zero or is it typically steadily rising at like a like a normal increase? That's a great question. So pre-COVID, we couldn't get inflation up at all. So the Federal Reserve kept rates. Let me answer your question first. It's normally around 2 to 3%. Okay, so Norm, getting right, to right the, the 4% by May of next year is like effectively a good thing, right? Like mm-hmm. that, that's really good. We're almost back on track, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. And and what was interesting is in the great financial crisis, the Federal Reserve did something very similar, lowered rates, tried to stimulate the economy as much as possible, but we didn't really have the fiscal stimulus that we had from COVID, mm-hmm. that the stimulus checks, all the unemployment, all that stuff kind of factoring in. So we had... We effectively had only one um, one part of, of the wheel that we do now. So you just had monetary policy and they couldn't really get inflation at all. So, But now we've got both working uh, through the system, um, both at varying different degrees and different times. But that's kind of been the catalyst for us to get inflation this time. And then what was interesting is the market reaction. So the CPI report came out last Thursday and then you saw that the S&P 500 which, aka, that's what I would call the market. That's the 500 biggest com- U.S. Uh, companies that are publicly traded. That was up over 5% on the day of the report. So if you took a nap, don't look at your brokerage statements, have a life outside of finance, which I would encourage, you would see that over the last two weeks, the market was just up 2.5%, which is kind of a normal. So it was interesting to see on a two-week kind of lag, the market just was normal. And then we had this big Thursday uh, from there. So that kind of goes into the flywheel that we've talked about before, which is so lower inflation means the Fed will lower, will, will stop being aggressive with rate hikes, which means the risk of a recession is lower, which means that stock prices are higher. So lower, lower recession probabilities, higher stock prices. So it's kind of like the flywheel. And then it goes the other way. So let's say the inflation report was, was higher than expectations. It would go the other way. It'd be like, oh crap, the Fed's going to Continue to raise rates aggressively. That means recession risks are higher. That means lower stock prices kind of thing. So you see how it kind of feeds mm, on itself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I tend to just there. not and look at it. That's probably yeah. that's probably good for your health. And just you're probably more fun at parties than I am. Uh, to be determined. For, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It depends, depends on the crowd. So for the future implications of inflation. So if you look at when inflation was at peaks and then the stock market returned one year after inflation peaked, it averages actually 13%. So when inflation has peaked and come down, which is what we're seeing now, stock prices are generally positive. There's three exceptions to the data that I was able to find online with a reputable source. And those are recessions. So you had the recession of 1957, which I'm sure everybody remembers. And then you have uh, the dot-com bubble of 2000, and then you have 2008. So you have roughly 10 other historicals where future performance is, is pretty good. So like on average, you, what you could say is future expected returns of the stock market when inflation is peaking are positive and higher than historical averages. So if you're trying to sound cool at that cocktail party, I would, I would practice that in the mirror uh, from there. Hold on. Let me, and let, then, me, let me write that down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
Yeah, so you you have to twist your little monocle, and it's like, well, uh, based on historical averages, so the one year forward return of the S and P five hundred total return during inflation peaking is roughly on an average of thirteen percent. But if you back out recessionary periods, which of three in our data set, you actually have higher than historical price returns during that time. We we call those anomalies. <laughs> would, would those be anomalies? I don't sure, want to. Sure. I don't want to try to sound too smart, and then I end up sounding <laughs> no, like an idiot. <laughs> No, 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 it's it's all that. So, why why is all this happening? So, the stock market is a forward-looking mechanism. It's always trying to guess at the future. So, what was interesting is the September inflation report, which was kind of so-so in a way, uh, which started kind of the "is this the peak of inflation?" kind of narrative in the market, is so far the bottom in the S and P five hundred. So, if you look at historicals and you look at what's happening right now in the market. You wouldn't be going out on a limb and saying, well, if inflation continues on this path and we don't have recession based on historicals, like maybe it's not the maybe it's not the end of the world. And then kind of going to that too, like you could look at other recessionary times. And this is uh, if you're having a hard time sleeping at night, this is something that I like to do. There's a good data set that shows how, once again, stock markets forward looking. It's trying to guess at what's going to happen. There's an old quip that the stock market has predicted nine of the last five recessions. And that's because it'll go down every now and then, but a recession won't happen. But invariably, it, it does. So like you look at the great financial crisis, the, the stock market crashed bottom and started going back up before the economy. So it's effectively three to four months ahead of the economy at most times. And you can pair the economy and earnings together kind of simultaneously. So they're, they're both um, similar but different for different reasons that we can go into if you want. And then that that's pretty true. So we talked about that 1957 recession earlier. Same thing happened then. And then the only exception is actually interesting, the dot-com bubble. And that's because uh, earnings weren't really part of that recession. Um, hmm. So, And then one question I get all the time from clients is uh, people get a little too political sometimes, I think, with their portfolio. I try to just talk about what the policy is of the different parties and how that will impact things because both both parties ha- tend to spend money, shocking, I know, and they just tend to spend it differently in different areas depending on what you care about. But what's interesting is when you look at market cycles in midterms, you always tend to have on average a, a selling off of roughly 6% going into midterms and then you kind of have a big bounce after midterms. And there's a little bit of theory that about that is is generally the the president of power loses a bunch of seats in the midterms. This has been a, a well known thing for the last uh, almost like forty years. The only president to really not lose seats was um, was actually Bush uh, in two thousand two, and that was because of nine uh, eleven. But so you have a gridlocked Congress, House, Senate. Uh, the markets tend to like that. I think you just get less uncertainty because they can't really pass anything and they just spend their time yelling at each other, not compromising. So maybe not the best for for the political world, but the market likes it because things aren't really going to be changing too much during um, a midterm going into a new presidential cycle. So from stepping back, like you know, maybe the headlines aren't looking good. You're seeing tech layoffs, mm-hmm. but from a, a earning standpoint from like a market cycle and his historicals things to look seems things seem to be looking okay and those aren't generally what show up in headlines it's more like amazon's cutting workers it's it's more like meta is spending enough money to go to the moon but instead they're going to a different universe 
and and things like well, that. Well, nobody so. would watch the news or read the headlines if they were if they were just normal, right? They got to get yeah. you to to click exactly. or pay attention, right? So they mm-hmm. they've got to make it salacious. So I mean, I, and that's I the whole point. That. That's the whole point of uh, my writing and and hopefully this podcast is. There, there's nuance and, and kind of to both sides to a story. So just giving context to uh, what's funny is like a 7.7% inflation is considered good today. But back in February, when we first got 7.7, like the market, like, had like I had a really bad down day because, you know, it's all, it's all relative and it's all, it's all contextual and relative and, and uh, th- there's more color to things usually. And so real quick, before we, we stop talking about this politics thing, how, how does that change? So this is for like midterms, but how does that change in mm-hmm. like uh, like the regular every four year uh, elections when like the president can, could change? Yeah, I don't, I don't, usually that stuff comes out when we have those presidential yeah. cycles. And that's a, that's a great question that I don't know off the top of my head. And what's funny is if you actually look at presidential cycle returns, this is off memory. Mm-hmm. Um, Democrats are actually better than Republicans over the last 30 years. For the markets, but that, Yeah, for markets, which right. is kind of funny based on kind of uh, a certain orange person running, <laughs> talking about the stock market returns. But you could also say like, well, Republicans have just had bad luck in their presidential run. So like Bush going into 2008, like was, was 2008 really Bush's fault? Right. I don't know. Was, you know... Bush Sr. kind of going into that recession, was that his fault? Probably not. And then Obama kind of literally started at the bottom of the great financial crisis in 09 and was just kind of up from there. So you couldn't go much lower if you were Obama. So his numbers look really good uh, from there. So it's it's like a mixed bag when you look at it on there. Got it. Yeah, because that's the one thing that I've always heard is just people get scared to have their money in the market or do anything crazy on these presidential cycles. Um, so, yeah. I don't know. I think people I mean, get scared all the time. I mean, was supposed to crash the economy and then was supposed to crash the economy. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe we should cut that part. But like generally, like I think people really overstate how much impact a president can have on an economy. Right. And I feel like it's typically just a little bit of a change and then kind of things normal out, right? Like you get those kind of doomsday prepper type people that mm-hmm. <laughs> overreact uh, and, yeah. and maybe cause like a little blip or something. Mm -hmm. exactly that's all I have for today this has been Sam and Fabian thank you so much for listening to the Flippant Finance feel free to subscribe share to the podcast and to the weekly newsletter that I put out thanks thanks